Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Here's the staff to Riley's. He drops back. Blue Chiefs looking for Everly's. He's throwing. Go to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in right circle. Back to Everly. Touchdown, Eskimo. One-timer score. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 champ. Well, I had some fun with lip reading about 20 minutes ago watching the Islanders and Penguins game. Well, Kellen Kennedy, you're laughing. You were watching it. Either Islanders coach Doug Waite really wants some fudge or he was really upset. He was angry. I'm guessing it's the latter, indeed. Yes, there was a uh, goal scored by the Islanders with just over a second left in the period. Pittsburgh, in the first period, Pittsburgh challenged for goaltender interference. They won the challenge, and the camera lingering on Doug Waite as he both called the referee over and dismissed him. I believe he also referred to something that a horse does. As he gave his thoughts on the call, that was an extended and amusing bit of uh, sports lip reading for uh, anybody able to see this game. The Penguins have scored, by the way, to go up one nothing early in the second period. Also tonight, the Lightning and the Wings, no score late in the first. Later on tonight, the Sharks and the Stars, the Jets and the Ducks. Those two games will impact the Oilers. After tonight, San Jose, Anaheim, Edmonton, and Calgary will all have played the same number of games, 74. Going into the evening, the Sharks with 91 points, Anaheim and Edmonton with 89, Calgary with 86. The Flames will play the Blues tomorrow, and of course the Oilers will play the Avalanche in a game we'll have for you right here on 6.30. Ched with the face-off show at 6.30 and the game starting at 8. The Oilers able to win it last night, 7-4 over the Avalanche, five goals Yes, five goals in the third period as they turned a 4-2 deficit into a three-goal win against the last-place team in the entire NHL. You can always text us at 630-630. Our open line number is 780-496-0063. Want to talk, uh, well, not uh, a few things about the Oilers here because certainly uh, as Rob and I were doing overtime open line last night, the goaltending discussion was uh, was a big one for, for a lot of people. Um you know, people asking Rob, well, what, Rob and I, well, what would you do? What would you do? You know, Rob would start Laurent Brassois tomorrow. I would start Cam Talbot. But to me, the, the goaltending issue is not the largest issue for the Edmonton Oilers. It, it, it is an issue, sure. It's the most important position on the ice. But for me, goaltending medium to long term for the Oilers is not a concern. Cam Talbot is going to play the majority of the games, uh, the, you know, the eight that they have left. 
He'll probably play seven or eight, regardless of whether he plays tomorrow. I mean, we'll see if he might get a break later on in the season if, uh, if the Oilers have a, a position that they can't move up or down from as they get locked into a playoff spot. And he's going to play all the playoff games. We know that. Um, this this is not one of those those arguments that that I feel um, you know that's going to upset me either way when they name a starting goaltender for tomorrow. I would choose Talbot because, quite frankly, to me, he's the better of the two goaltenders, and he's always bounced back from games where he might have struggled a bit. And I actually didn't think he struggled last night. I thought the team in front of him was lazy defensively and was giving up really good looks. And there's still some dangerous players on the Colorado team, even though they're not having a good season. I did think he had an off night in Anaheim. He let in one horrible goal and another one that he usually stops. But I totally understand the other side of the argument, that at some point you got to reward Laurent Brossois for having come in in relief and played very well, and in my mind, for clearly working hard in practice as well to improve himself. Do I think Cam Talbot is fatigued? No, I don't. But I understand the argument, okay, maybe sometimes you need a mental break. So if, if they come out tomorrow and say Brossois is going to play, it's not going to freak me out, even though that's not what I would do if I were coaching the team. And if I were coaching the team, they would not already have 40 wins on the season. So let's remember that. Um, the, the bigger issue for me about the Edmonton Oilers, and, and, and again, I don't want to blow it out of proportion because they are, they are a team which has often bounced back from off nights or, you know, they haven't had long periods of, of malaise or, or poor play this season. Um, but look, three of the last four games for the Oilers, they have not played well. They, quite frankly, have not played well. L- let's just review here for a couple of minutes. Here's a quote from Todd McClellan after the 2 nothing win over Vancouver on Saturday. Tonight was more about being over top of a loose puck and, and uh, digging and mucking and grinding uh, than making nice plays. And, and uh, I think we're still in the nice play mode, so it affected us. This is Todd McClellan after the loss to the Anaheim Ducks on Wednesday. I'm not overly concerned about the offensive part. I was concerned more tonight about the checking part. Um, we were loose coming into our zone. We missed numerous assignments that we normally have picked up. And this is Todd McClellan last night after beating the Avalanche. You know, I didn't think we were the best team at the end of the night. Uh, we were lucky enough to win the game and had a little bit of puck luck. There's some things that we've got to fix. Um that have showed up in the last two games in particular, and and we'll do that tomorrow. We'll try and do that tomorrow. Um, And I I didn't think we skated well. Does that have something to do with back-to-back, late night, altitude? I don't know what it is, but uh, we didn't look very very sharp um, on our skates or with the puck. All right, so there's three of the last four games where the head coach is coming out and saying, you know, we, we didn't do the details. We didn't play over top of the puck. We didn't play inside the other team's equipment. They certainly did it against the Los Angeles Kings, especially in the first period where, you know, they completely dominated that game against L.A. So I'm, that's why I'm not all hung up on the goalie debate because I wanted to see the team in front of the goalie tomorrow, regardless of who the goaltender is, commit to the style of play that for the most part this season the Oilers have been able to execute and has got them you know with a chance with a chance at finishing first in the Pacific Division play over top of the puck get in there on the forecheck get underneath the opponent get inside his equipment work to free up pucks 
You know, don't sag defensively. Try to control the zone entries. That To me, that's all a, a bigger issue than the goaltender. The goaltender is going to be fine. I, I, I Again, I'd pick Talbot if Brassois plays. Okay, give the kid a chance. Let him prove himself. Maybe give Talbot a bit of a break, uh, you know, mentally, and you give him maybe a detailed practice Sunday or Monday to go over some things with the goalie coach, Dustin Schwartz, and he's ready to go against Los Angeles, which could be a, a Tuesday against Los Angeles, by the way. Could be, depending on how other games go, could be an opportunity for the Oilers to actually clinch a playoff spot. We all know that they're going, but that could be the chance for them to mathematically do it. So, again, let's see the Oilers tomorrow come out and initiate, take it to a team that they should be able to control the game pretty much throughout, you know, challenge a team that doesn't have a great roster, and then it's not going to matter who's in net. 614, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Still in this hour of the show, you're going to hear from Len Rhodes, Edmonton Eskimos president who is battling prostate cancer. He opened up to Morley Scott about that. That'll be after the 630 News, and we'll tell you which Oilers nominated for the Masterson Trophy when we get back inside Sports on Ched. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat. Mark Letestu with a career-high 15 goals this season, still eight games to go in the regular season for Edmonton. How fun is that to know that they are going to the playoffs? First-round opponent, TBA, could be... San Jose could be Anaheim, could be Calgary, could maybe be Chicago. We'll see as it shakes down over the final couple of weeks. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. The NHL announcing today that the Avalanche and the Senators will play regular season games in Sweden. That'll be on November 10th and 11th of the 17-18 season. Also, the team nominees announced for the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy today. Eberle, beautiful pass, rich shot score, Patrick Maroon. He had a hat trick in the January win over Boston, and he scores again tonight. Patrick Maroon, the Oilers nominee. You know about the great season he's having. Career high in points with 39, career high in goals with 25. Third on the team behind only McDavid and Dreisaitl, who both have 26. Remember Maroon's previous career highs, 34 points and 12 goals. So he's doubled his best season in terms of goals. He's played all 74 games. He's third in plus minus at plus 13, and he's uh, got a 15.1 shooting percentage. Been an incredible year for Maroon, 28 years old. He's the Oilers nominee for the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy. That's one of those where um, each team nominates a, a guy and then the, the one guy gets picked. Also, just want to touch on something else today. I don't know how many people saw this, Kellen. I think Jim on the phone line wants to talk about this, but I'll just run it down uh, for people first. Last night, Sidney Crosby slashed Mark Mathot. Yep. And if, if you haven't seen the video, you can just Google it or find it on. I mean, it's, it's so easy to get the video. And yeah. Mathot's finger is all bloody, and there's a chunk hanging off, or yeah. a skin flap hanging off. Uh, it looked It looked bad. Clearly, he's going to be out weeks, is what the Senators are saying. Senators owner Eugene Melnick, who has never been shy around a microphone, called Crosby a whiner beyond belief and suggested that Crosby should be suspended for the same length of time as 
Esma thought is hurt and says, you know, if he's out 10 games, he should play 10 games. You know, I talked to a couple former NHLers today who said slashes like that probably happened 200 times a game. I mean, I just watch how often there's a, it was a, it was a normal play with a admittedly a bad result, and uh, Eugene Melick, Melnick absolutely going ballistic over it. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We have Jim on the phone line. Hello, Jim. Hi, Reed. How you doing? Doing well. Reed, I mean, just because it happens two hundred times a game doesn't mean it's right. Uh, I agree, and I've said it long before. If we want to cut back on some of the uh, injuries. Uh, you're right. I mean, if this happened to Sydney, what do you think the outcry would have been? Far more than what it is now. But let's say it was Sydney. Let's say he was out for six weeks. I've always said, whoever does it, they should be out for six weeks as well, too. So uh, the NHL has brought this upon themselves because they don't do it right. And I think that it shouldn't matter what the injury is. It shouldn't matter who the player is. That if you if you hurt someone and they're out for a length of time, you sit as well. I mean, I, I just, I mean, if this would have been Sydney. What do you think would have happened? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to play the what-if game, but, I mean, Jim, how is that? That play wasn't even a penalty. Well, yeah, but, it, 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 okay, but it, I'm just saying, reverse the players. It's very low-keyed right now because it's not Sid Crosmere or, or our man uh, McDavid. Had it been somebody like that, or had they done around and hit somebody like that, like in Sid's case, you know, but in this case, if Sid was, was, the, was the, the victim this time, what do you think the outcry would have been? Well, I I agree it's bad for the game if stars get injured. I just didn't see anything malicious on that play. I mean, there's always slashes on the stick, slashes that wind up hitting the hand. I mean, I don't I don't know if you start penalizing that, then there's going to be a penalty every 20 seconds. Well, but again, no. I mean, it's part of the game, yes. But are they cleaning it up? No. And, and sure, this guy got hurt because, again, he's not a big star like Sydney. But had he been, there'd have been an outcry because he's not as important as Sydney or high profile as Sydney. It's okay. I don't think it is. I think it hurts the game of hockey, and we need to clean it up. I mean, I just think it. But what's but Jim? What specifically is dirty about that play? I mean, if you're talking about cleaning it up, then you're to me you're suggesting that's a dirty play. What is specifically dirty about what Crosby did? It's a, well, I guess it, I guess you can't really say it's dirty because it, it, it is access, acceptable in the game of hockey. A slash is acceptable. That's the problem. Well, that manner of a slash, yes, is is acceptable. Yes. So you yes. you would you would like to start legislating that particular move out of the game of hockey is, I guess, what you're arguing. Because by what, yeah, given given how the way hockey is played, I don't see how that little tap is suspendable. Like he didn't wind up and do anything like that. No, but still, I, I think it should be. I mean, we have to start controlling some of these, some of these um, flashes. I mean, it, it's a, it's unfortunate until somebody that's got um, somebody like Crosby or somebody like McDavid. I mean, if they're the ones that are at the end of it, I mean, that happened to McDavid. What do you think we would do? If it happened to Sidney Crosby, what do you think they would do? But it didn't. So it's not as, as it's not as a as big an issue. Well, no, that's a fair point. I mean, when something happens to a star, it gets it gets scrutinized. Hopefully, I would be consistent in what I'm saying because I didn't I didn't see a, a huge problem with that. Jim, I appreciate your opinion, though, buddy. Thanks for calling. All right, take care. That is Jim seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We also have Jay on the line. Hi, Jay. Hello, Reed. I'm just calling to a little bit of a change of topics, a little uh, a little more lighthearted than Sidney Crosby's slash. Sure. Um, Bruce Brudrow, he's 
I've always considered him one of the best coaches in the NHL. You look at what he did when he uh, took over as coach for the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, they were way out of the playoffs and turned it around right away. They've been a dominant force. The Minnesota Wild have been a surprisingly dominant force for the balance of the season. Uh, when nobody expect, I expected them to make the playoffs, but I didn't expect them to be in the president's trophy position for two-thirds of the season. Right. And in the last uh, month, a month and a half, the wheels have come off of that team. Uh, just want to get your thoughts and feedback as to why you think that's occurred. Is it Devin Dubnik, or is it the, what's broken down exactly? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, well, obviously, I don't see every Minnesota Wild game. Dubnik still has some pretty good numbers on the season. Uh, I was just checking the uh, stats here. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Now, I believe, haven't they played Chicago a couple times recently? So... I remember they played them a couple weeks ago, so that's going to affect their record. Uh, They've lost to teams like Dallas. Yeah, and they lost to Philadelphia. I mean, where would Philadelphia be if they hadn't had that 10-game winning streak, by the way? That's another story. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I still view Minnesota as a dangerous team, Jay, because I I, I think, I mean, Dubnik's is one of the top three or four goalies in the league, and I think they have a lot of scoring depth. So I wouldn't I wouldn't count them out, despite that they are swooning lately. I mean, they, they used to be competing with Chicago for the division lead. They're now eight points behind. Um, I, I, I can't give you a, a more detailed answer than that, because like I said, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of their games in their entirety. Um, but when they've seen them play the Oilers, they gave the Oilers trouble. And I think they have a lot of forwards who are dangerous, who can play a quick game and can shoot the puck. So I'd still think they'd be a dangerous opponent in the playoffs. Well, I mean, I would have thought up until six weeks ago, and maybe still, Devin Dubnik was probably the leading candidate for the Vesna Trophy. So, Yeah, fair enough. It's probably going to be Bobrovsky now, I would think, and Talbot might get some votes. Jay, yeah. good to hear from you. Okay, thanks. 780-496-0063. Uh, you can also text 630-630, because I'm text coming in about the Crosby-Mathot play. We're going to bring Len Rhodes onto the show after the break. President and CEO of the Edmonton Eskimos, he sat down with Morley Scott and told his story about recently being diagnosed with prostate cancer. That's when we get back inside sports on 630 Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. So in the NHL tonight, Islanders and Penguins tied 2-2 late in the second period. Crosby has his 42nd of the season. Lightning and Red Wings scoreless after one. Still to come tonight, the Sharks visit the Stars and the Jets take on the Ducks. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in this evening. It's 6.34. Len Rhodes, president and CEO of the Edmonton Eskimos, has gone public with his recent diagnosis. It happened a few, well, late last year, really, but fairly recently, with uh, prostate cancer. And he sat down with Morley Scott. Eskimos play-by-play voice here on 630 Chad to talk about that. Here's that interview. I'm joined by Eskimos President and CEO Len Rhodes. Uh, Len, normally when we get together like this, we talk about football. Uh, today, that's not going to be the case. We'll probably talk football at some point, but uh, today we're going to talk more about life. Uh, I know you've had a very interesting four, five, six months um, diagnosed with cancer in the fall of last year. Tell me about, first off, the diagnosis and, and how you found out. Sure. Yeah, it's a uh, real life. Let's start off by saying, uh, you know, we're all just uh, human beings and we're all just one incident away from something happening that could impact us in a negative way, but also in a positive way. It was in the summertime during a routine medical, Morley, that I uh, the doctor picked up on something, a high level of PSA from a blood test. 
that sometimes is a, a leading indicator that there could be an issue with your prostate. Uh, that alone is not sufficient in terms of determining whether you have uh, cancer or not. But my family doctor recommended that I go see a urologist. And the urologist uh, looked at my data. I uh, submitted another blood test and it showed that there could be something that we have to look at a little more closely. So he recommended that I go for a biopsy and the biopsy took place in late October or early November of uh, this past year. And unfortunately, I came back from Grey Cup uh, out of Toronto. Two or three days later, I go get my results and I heard the words that no one wants to hear. Len, unfortunately, you have cancer. And uh, so I was thrown aback because even up to that point in time, Morley, in my mind, there's no way I have cancer. No one in my family has cancer. I even joked with the doctor, my family, we all die from heart attacks. This is new territory. And the doctor says, oh, stop being silly. But I use humor sometimes to deal with stress. And unfortunately, that was uh, one situation. But he said, there's good news. You're, uh, you're diagnosed as stage one cancer, and which means that generally that's treatable. And uh, I quickly, after basically shutting down for a few seconds and just coming to grips that the Len Rhodes has cancer, uh, what do I do about it? So the next 48 hours of November was really, really difficult. But I took the, uh, the week to actually uh, think about my mortality, but also to get educated. Um, I didn't know much about this disease, again, because I don't have any prior history. And it's mm -hmm. funny, when something doesn't touch you, even though there's commercials on the air all the time about cancer, I'm not really paying attention. But if there's one another topics that relate more to my day to day, then I'm paying more attention and I'm more engaged. Well, t trust me, I became immediately engaged with the topic of cancer. And I did a lot of things, including reading about it online. Uh, someone handed me a book on prostate cancer. And I spoke to people, I reached out to people who I knew had a history of the uh, same situation and I quickly got educated. And um, I had options. So the uh, doctor said, well, we're not gonna make a decision. So when he informed me that day that I was diagnosed with cancer, he says, there are other options. He says, I'm a surgeon. So my expertise is removing the uh, prostate, but there's other uh, forms of therapy, including radiation. So I went to see uh, an oncologist who gave me other options. And then I had more tests and it came down to allowing me to understand what treatment options exist which ones are eligible for me, given my circumstances, and ultimately making a decision. So I chose uh, something called brachytherapy. It's internal radiation, but it's targeted, and it's phenomenal in terms of the innovation and R&D that goes into medicine. Now, I had never been in a hospital for anything more than a broken arm or a few stitches, so this was all new territory for me. Uh, so I made a decision to go for a treatment, not ignore it. So there's two pieces of learning here is A, Go for your medicals, everyone. It's really important. No one is immune from having any issues. I didn't know I had any issues. I was feeling good. I went into a medical thinking it was gonna be just another routine medical. Len, watch your blood pressure, eat right, do this, get exercise. But this was a total surprise to me. But after learning that, unfortunately, I was dealt those cards, I said, okay, I'm not gonna ignore it. Because as men, I think as a gender, we're worse than women. We, A, don't go for medicals the way we should in general. And B, we don't really want to hear that there's issues. But while it's not the best news, you need to know if you've got something 
because then you can deal with it, and that's my philosophy. Uh, yeah, that's. I guess that's the message, and I know you're. You you told me you want to get that message out more than anything is, go to your doctor, make sure that you get the tests, and if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. You go on with your life, but if there's something there, you want to catch it as early as possible, and you want to do exactly what you've done. Do the research, do your due diligence, and uh, make what is, I'm sure, a very tough choice. This is very important, is that everyone understands that uh, we are all uh, simply human beings, and we can all be impacted by something. So the learning, I always try to take a positive out of a negative. I, I don't want to be in a situation where I have cancer, but I do. And I can't do anything about that other than looking for treatment, informing others and using the platform as president and CEO of the Edmonton Eskimos to say, look, I've got something I thought would never touch me. It has, and it changes your life overnight, but it's not the end of the world if you get it treated quickly and you listen to the authorities at the medical side, talk to people who have had the experience, but ultimately make a decision. The worst thing is doing nothing and staying at home, procrastinating, being stressed, but not doing anything about it. How difficult was that time for you when you first heard there might be something there to when you got the news? Yeah. I imagine your brain's playing all sorts of tricks on you at that yeah, point, Yeah, right? it's like, you know, when you had your final exams in university and you're waiting for the results, you can't do anything about it at that point. So I think it's the same analogy. Once I went for my tests, now I'm waiting for the results, but I still don't believe there's really any chance I'm gonna be diagnosed with cancer. But once I'm told it's a slap in the face and your reality changes immediately, and all of a sudden, and I'm enjoying and appreciating the sun rising in the morning, I'm not sweating the small stuff, so it's made me a better human being. So it's a wasted opportunity if you don't learn from it and if you don't try to educate people from it as well. So uh, I, I'm not going to be in a situation and looking at myself as a victim. I have a great attitude about this. I think I'm surprising a lot of people. I think I'm surprising myself. It's shitty, quite frankly, to be told you have cancer and to know you have cancer. But what do you do about it? Because, you know, whether I live another 5, 10, 20 years, 30 years, we're all mortal. So if I can delay... Uh, the eventual date, that would be great. Have a great quality of life. And so far, so great. The treatment that I've gone under is uh, is uh, well underway. And I've been treated like uh, gold when I deal with the uh, medical system in Alberta. And uh, I know you've talked about it a little bit, but... You caught it early, right? Which yes. is important, and you made the right decision, you hope, to, for the treatment. So to catch it early is a key, obviously. So why is early detection important, Morley? It's important because it gives you more options. So when you're at stage one, for example, I literally had three different options. I could just wait and monitor the situation. I could go for a radical removal of my prostate, or I could go for radiation. I was eligible for all three, and the test, you know, I went for ultrasounds and before that biopsies, and they're not the most comfortable tests. But trust me, it's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more discomfort uh, when you get to a level of stage two, stage three, and stage four, when you don't have those options. So for those who do, uh, I really recommend that uh, the more options you have, the better you are, and the more they can do for you when how it's caught early. How are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. You know, I keep being told that I shouldn't feel this good, and I actually uh, felt touched. Uh, after my operation, I actually wrote a letter to my surgeon saying thank you very much. I wrote a letter to the nurses at the Cross Cancer Institute, and the doctor called me two or three days later after he received the letter. The doctor's calling me, hmm. and he's asking how I am. And I said, I'm feeling actually very good. Yes, there's some side effects, hopefully uh, short-term side effects, but all in all, boy, I feel so fortunate. I feel 
blessed to be honest with you uh i know you have a good support group in your family uh you have a good support group i'm sure at your office yes. uh you also have a pretty good support group uh with edmonton eskimo fans yes. uh i noticed uh, this week earlier uh when uh, when word came out in the newspaper uh people on twitter talking about you and wishing you uh, all the best I, I know it doesn't help uh as far as the the physical cure goes but i imagine it must be gratifying to see so many people reaching out to you it's actually extremely touching because um I'm just a regular Joe like uh, everyone else. And uh, when people send you uh, words of encouragement, call you, talk to you, I want to make sure, A, that people feel comfortable talking to me about it. I don't want to be the white elephant in the room. And the uh, response has been phenomenal. And I'm touched. And uh, honest to God, you know, I, I, I go under, I, I'm in general anesthesia. I'm under the in an operating room for two hours. I wake up and I realize I'm dreaming about being at a home game at <laughs> Commonwealth Stadium and I'm mingling with fans. And I ask myself, God, is that a good sign or is that a bad sign? I don't know, but it's what I dreamt about. And the second thing that came to mind immediately was I'm alive. <laughs> and yeah. So those were the two factors that came into play. But our fans are phenomenal. And the people that I've been able to reach out to prior to my actual surgery to get advice and get feedback... It's amazing how when I spoke to men who have been in this through this, how honest and open and transparent they were with me about the highs, the lows. And it's not just physical, it's emotional. So while fans, when they send me their, their, uh, their great words, you say it doesn't change the physical side, you're right. But I believe cancer and health issues, 50% is on the mental side and it's how you feel. You can really lead things into a way or you can spiral downwards. I'm choosing to look at the positive side and when people reach out to me, it makes a big difference to me. I'm touched. What is uh, the next step? You've had the you've had the surgery and the procedure. Um, what what happens next? Yeah, so now uh, actually to be precise, April seventh, I go back to the Cross Cancer Institute. They're going to perform more tests to see if the radioactive seeds that they literally implanted into my prostate are uh, still in the proper position, and they're going to uh, take a blood test, I believe, and then over time, in the next twelve months to twenty months. The radioactive seeds through brachytherapy have a lot of work to do. So now my seeds that are in my prostate literally have to tackle the cancer tumors. So let's take the analogy of football. My front line of defense is out there working, and they're going to have a lot of work for the next 12 to 20 months. And I expect a lot from them because if they fail, I'm going to fail. So uh, we're going to monitor this. In the meantime, I'm back at work. I was only away for two weeks. And it's business as usual. I feel healthy in the sense that the symptoms are limited and I have a great energy level. Len, not an easy uh, discussion to have uh, with anyone. I'm sure I appreciate you coming in and, and being open about it. And, uh, you know, you got nothing but my best wishes and, and support and prayers. And I know people around this building and all around Edmonton Eskimo fans uh, wishing you the best. And, and, and hopefully uh, you're going to beat this thing and life goes on. I truly appreciate it. And I'm making the assumption I will beat this. It's, a, it's not even a consideration for anything else and uh, before I close you know yesterday uh, uh, on, on Thursday an article came out in the Sun and in the journal and I had a lot of response a lot of people reaching out and there's one particular person though in confidence I won't share his name said I was diagnosed last year I have not done anything about it would you be willing to speak to me and give me your insights and I said absolutely so if we've changed the life or the destination of one person this is all worthwhile. Len, thanks very much. Appreciate this. Thank you, Morley.
Len Rhodes, president and CEO of the Edmonton Eskimos. He sat down with Morley Scott. Very open, frank, and I think necessary discussion about Len being diagnosed with prostate cancer. He tells you where he's at, where he's going, and he has an incredible attitude. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Oscar Clefbaum from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 6:30. Shad. All right, Clefbaum and the Oilers taking on the Avalanche tomorrow. They're back home for four. Kings, Sharks, and Ducks also coming to town. Text here to 6:30-6:30. This person says, "Len Rhodes, keep your head up. I had robotic surgery for prostate cancer four years ago, and so far so good." Thanks for those words. We just had Len Rhodes on Inside Sports in conversation with Morley Scott. Len opening up about his diagnosis and battle with prostate cancer. Obviously, all the best to Len. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. It is 6:52. Quite a uh, local story here for the uh, ACAC men's hockey title Grant McEwen played Nate last weekend in the best of three final two of the three three games went to overtime and McEwen scored the upset winning game three four three in overtime and it was a pretty incredible weekend for their head coach Bram Steven who joins us now Bram you're on with Reed Wilkins how are you doing hey good Reed how are you I'm great congratulations on winning the title uh, I'm not sure where to begin here because it was an incredible weekend for you. Let's start with the, the, the hockey stuff, first of all. The the third game, uh, because didn't you guys have to rally here late in the third period just to get into overtime against Nate? Yeah, it was uh, it was 3-1. Um, they scored with about 11 minutes left in the third period. And um, uh, we made a goaltending change right then. And I think with about uh, six minutes left, uh, we scored on the power play off the rush make it 3-2 and then um, got one with I think about 55 seconds left to tie it up in, in the third period and then uh, five minutes in overtime we're able to score off of an offensive zone faceoff. All right so I mean you guys the, the two teams were close all year obviously Nate just finished a point ahead of you in the overall standings. Oh you, you changed you changed goalies in the third period of the deciding game. How hard of a decision was that to make as a head coach? Yeah it was and, and the our goalie that went in his name is Chris Ray he's a fourth year player and in fact two years ago he was our team MVP so we had a lot of confidence in him one of the scary things for us was he hadn't played in about a month um, when you talk about just the bye weeks and uh, we were riding Mark our, our starter throughout the playoffs and you know it's the third game in three days and I felt that it was maybe a toss up as to whether we are going to get a better performance out of Mark beyond his third game in three days or if you go to a fresh goaltender and so uh, there was a thought process heading into it. It would be a bit of a shorter leash than normal. And it was a good timing. We were down 3-1 with 11 minutes left, and we needed the momentum to shift a bit. So made the switch. And uh, I don't know if, it, if you attribute that to it, but it seemed like fairly quickly after that the, the ice started to tilt in our favor and started to get some chances and were rewarded about four or five minutes later with that power play goal. All right. So you win the title, but something else significant happened uh, I believe you'll have to correct me. I believe it was uh, the day the day of Game One on on Friday. Uh, you, <laughs> your wife gave birth to a to a baby boy. I mean, what was this like trying to be a coach and a and a father and a husband <laughs> all at once? Yeah, yeah it, it was. I mean, it, it was pretty exciting. Um, went to bed around midnight. I'd say Thursday night, and uh, less than an hour later, my wife uh, woke me up and <laughs> told me it was time to go to the hospital. So. Um, we were fortunate that uh, everything went, went well and smooth and fairly quickly. And about eight hours later, our, our baby boy was born. And 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was interesting. I mean, obviously, it, as, as a hockey coach that weekend, I was extremely sleep deprived. But, but at the same time, it, it gives you a different perspective on on the game. Um, you know, it's, it's I was I've been at McEwen and my coaching staff at McEwen for five years, and and we had come a long way from where the program was, and and it was very easy for us to all get tight and anxious. And I think just that occurrence, maybe in a, a weird way, it was fate because it allowed me to loosen up and be relaxed and give better perspective on things. And I think some of the decisions that were made um, throughout the weekend were ones that were uh, aggressive and, and going for a win rather than protecting a, a lead or, or trying not to lose, you know what I mean? Yeah. Was this your first child, Brown? It was, yeah. Yeah. Was well, incredibly exciting time. Congratulations. Is he, is he already skating or not quite yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not quite. He's He's got some books and shirts that have <laughs> hockey innuendos, and so I'm sure it won't be too long. Well, that's that's amazing that all that happened on the weekend. Congratulations on on winning the title. I should ask you as well, how was the first season having the uh, downtown community rink as your home ice? Yeah, it was great. I mean, the, the Edmonton Oilers uh, were incredibly inviting to us early on. Barry Stafford was great working with us. Um, um, Jason Lang, uh, as far as uh, just like Jeff Lang as the equipment manager there and just helping out, um, asking if we need anything. The rink staff has been great. For our athletes, it's really good because it's next to the school, so makes it easier for them to travel to and from, um, get to leave their gear at the uh, rink, which is something that our program never had to be able to do before. It's easier for uh, video and workouts. It just allows us to be a lot more professional about the program. Well, that's great to hear. Bram, congratulations again on the uh, ACAC championship. You know, I, I, I've, I've talked to Nate guys as well, so it was great that the two uh, uh, two of the Edmonton teams uh, went at it in a, in a really uh, awesome final series. Thanks for telling your story on Inside Sports tonight. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. That is Bram Steven checking in, the head coach of the ACAC champion McEwen men's hockey team. He uh, becomes a dad, wins the title all over the course of a couple of days. Eskimos quarterback Mike Riley ahead. Inside Sports on Chet. 6.30 Chet. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chet.